I'm beginning a series of messages this morning designed to challenge us about making progress in our spiritual lives. I'm sure that this early in the new year, some of you are thinking about making progress in different aspects or parts of your life, maybe physically or financially or with your family or or whatever. But the big question is this. Do you have plans for your spiritual progress? Most of the time, progress happens as we build in a new set of habits in our lives. Uh, For example, if you're planning for physical progress, it will probably include establishing new habits like setting aside some time every day for physical exercise. Boo, boo, can I hear a boo, boo, hiss. Maybe maybe uh, you're going to set habits uh, for uh, establishing new patterns of eating healthier foods. (laughs) Boo, boo, you know. Or maybe maybe you're establishing some new habits for your family life and, and your kids in your home. You know what? The same thing should be true for us spiritually. Someone has observed that the things that we do in life are, are somewhat like seeds that are sown. For example, you sow a thought, you're going to reap an action. You sow an action, you're going to reap a habit. You sow a habit, you're going to reap a character. And if you sow a character, you're going to reap a destiny. So over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time together exploring what the Bible says about our spiritual progress. And I've entitled this series, Developing Holy Habits That Can Change Your Life. We're going to start here today in 2 Peter chapter 1. All right, here we go. Verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak this word into our hearts. Help us, dear Lord, to establish these habits, these characteristics, so that we can progress in our spiritual life with you. Speak to us now by your Spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's the deal. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, He gives us a new life. That's something to rejoice about. Now, I know a lot of people are gone this morning. We have have vacuum pots of of empty places. So I'm wondering, are are all my amen people gone or do we still have... Do we have a few amen people in here? Practice that. Ready? One more time. There you go. Good. The amen people are still here. So... When Jesus transforms your life, He saves you from the inside out and gives you a new life. The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts to live inside of us and He guarantees us all the pieces are there to construct a new life that looks just like Jesus Christ. And that's the goal. Okay, understand, this is our goal, to look like Jesus. Our goal is Christ-likeness. And so my goal for this series is for us to establish some holy habits that will help us look like Jesus Christ. 
The purpose of this message is to show you the characteristics that Christ displayed that we need to have in our own life. And we know this from the preceding verses. Let me go back to verse 3 and pick up. I'm reading this out of the NIV. It says, His divine power, that is God's divine power, has given us everything. Say the word everything. Everything. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So everything we need for life and godliness is found in our relationship with and our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And on top of that, God is so good, He gave us something else. Look at verse 4. Through these, what are these? Well, verse 3 told us God's glory and goodness. Through God's glory and goodness, He has given us His very great and precious promises. And that's the cherry on top of the whipped cream on top of the strawberry cake right there. All right? He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. You see, God wants us to share in His divine nature. God wants us to be holy just as He is holy. That's His design when He saves us through Jesus Christ. And He wants us to escape the corruption that is in this world. And believe you me, this world is pretty corrupt. All right? You know that. It's an evil place. So God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. He has given us certain great and precious promises that supplies everything we need for spiritual progress in our life. But, God intends for us to work with Him in making spiritual progress. Do you see the word participate up there in verse 4? So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. That, that word participate means to partner with. Okay? God wants us to partner with Him. Verse 5 tells us why. For this very reason, we should make every effort to add to our faith. And then the list goes on. So here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to summarize what I've said so far. I'm ending my introduction. We're about to get into the meat of the sermon. But, but let's summarize the introduction. This is what he's saying. All we need for this life, and all we need for godliness has already been given to us by God's divine power. He's laid it out there. We've got it in front of us. It's there for the taking. Our part is to make every effort, that is to do our part, to establish these characteristics in our life so that we can be like Christ and live life and be godly. In layman terms, here's what it means. It means that we've got to get off the couch and get on the court. All right? We've got to do our part. We've, God supplied everything. We've just got to work with Him. We've got to participate. Okay? Last night, late, right before I go to sleep, I thought of this and I thought, you know what? That's kind of like marriage. You know, everybody's got to do their part to make it work, right? 
When, when we first get married, boy, we're dumb, aren't we? Can I have an amen from somebody on that? When you first got married, you were pretty dumb. Amen. I'm telling you what. Oh, you, no, you were dumb in love, weren't you? I've told you the story before about going to Hillsdale. My, my junior year I had two other roommates. Both those guys were from Oklahoma, and that just says it all right there. But, but one of them fell in love. He was in, he was in love. In fact, he grew up not too far from here, and he met another girl from Oklahoma, fell in love with her. And every night before we went to bed, he'd call her on the phone, and we had to listen to his conversation. Even though he was on the bottom bunk of a bunk bed, and he pulled the sheets up over his head, we could still hear him talk. And even though he's trying to cover, he said, I love you. Oh, I love you. You remember the first time we met, Tina? <laughs> I said, give me a crowbar and let me puke, man. I mean, I, I got so sick of hearing that, you know. Again, I, I started thinking, that I was the same way. Angie. <laughs> oh, Angie, I love you. And we're all that way. We're just, we're dumb in love. And we think we're going to live on love for the rest of our life, about six months into it. We realize it's going to take some effort. I mean, if this thing is really going to work, it's going to take it's going to take more than sitting in the recliner, kicked back, with my empty tea glass shaking the ice. And you would have had to been here a long time to know that story. But let me tell you, can I just tell you, everything we learn from our parents is not good. There's a huge difference between 1983 and 1963. Women were trained different. You don't just sit there and shake your tea glass. You get the tea poured on your head. Bottom line, it takes effort. It ta if you want your marriage to work, it's going to take some effort. And listen to me, guys. If you want to grow spiritually, it's going to take effort. In fact, that's my first point, number one. There is a price to be paid for spiritual progress. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So for this reason, in light of the fact that God's divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness, what are you to do? Verse 5 tells us, you make every effort. I read this originally in the New King James. It says, give all diligence. <laughs> put forth the effort. Now remember that effort has nothing to do with our salvation. Understand that. But it has everything to do with our spiritual growth. God in His grace is not opposed to effort and spiritual growth. He is opposed to earning. As you strive towards spiritual progress, you can't earn any more of God's love or grace. So God is opposed to earning, but He's not opposed to effort. And that's what He calls us to do. We are to be diligent and vigilant toward spiritual progress. Verse 5, make every effort to add. The word add means to pay the price, to enrich, or to enhance something. You, you can't add anything to your salvation. We can only work out what God has worked in. Okay? The point is there is a price to be paid in doing that. That there is no progress in any area of our lives if we are not willing to pay the price. Okay? 
If your goal is, is physical progress in 2015, to get back in shape, to where you can run a 5K or a 10K race, you are foolish to think you can do that without training. You won't make it 100 yards. If your goal is to build a healthy retirement income for the future, you are foolish to think you can do that without paying the price for that today. And if your goal is to be the very best mommy or daddy that you can possibly be, you'll not accomplish that without paying the price of spending some quality time with your kids as they grow up. And if your goal is spiritual progress, you're going to have to pay the price for that as well. So there's a price to be paid for spiritual progress. And the sad bottom line is that many people are not willing to pay the price because we really don't see the value in paying that price. We're saved. We think that's enough. Well, let me go on to point number two, if that's the way you think. There are virtues that should be displayed in our spiritual progress. When we pay the price to grow in our faith, to make spiritual progress, the end product is that we will begin to display the qualities of Jesus' life. We're going we're gonna to start looking like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, speaking like Jesus, acting like Jesus. We are going to reflect the life of Christ. Why? We are building these qualities and virtues into our own life. Now follow me here, I don't want to lose anybody. Spiritual progress is not measured by how many times you read through your Bible in a given year. Spiritual progress is not measured by how much money you give to the church in a year's time or by how many times you show up to this church in a given week or month or year. Now all those things are important. And you know what, as a believer, we need to be doing all those things to our very best ability. But you can do all of those things and still not display the virtues of spiritual progress. We put it like this. You can be religious and still be as mean as a snake on the inside. You can be religious and still have a heart that is filled with lust. You can be religious and still be proud and arrogant. But when our aim is to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, we will begin to take on the qualities that are displayed in the life of Christ. And those qualities make sure the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit because He's doing it inside of us. Now Paul makes a, a chain of eight virtues in the next couple of verses. Paul is building this chain. And there are eight links in the chain. Did you know that your chain is only as strong as the weakest link in the chain? And there are eight links in this chain that display and manifest the life of Christ. These are the things we need to be working on. Church, here it is. This is how we become spiritually healthy. This is how we look like Jesus Christ. These are some holy habits that we need to establish in our life that will benefit us. And it all starts with faith. He says in verse 5, add to your faith.
Faith is the very first link. Faith is confidence in God. And faith is the foundation for everything else that is built in your spiritual life. You can't save yourself. You can't sanctify yourself. Therefore, you must continually trust for the grace of God to be given in your life. Every day you need to wake up trusting God. It's what the Christian life is. It's a life of faith. We never outgrow that. We never get too big for our bridges. We constantly need to trust God. Now, some, some of us have the tendency to do that. You know what? We start trusting in ourselves, our own education, our own ingenuity, our own finances, our own family. But sooner or later, if that's the way we treat life, sooner or later, that's going to start coming apart. It'll unravel like a cheap sweater, as a friend of mine says. And you'll get right back down to the very core of the Christian life, which is faith in God, trusting God. The late Adrian Rogers, the great preacher from Memphis, once said it like this, Grace says, I love you, reaching down. Faith says, I believe you, while reaching up. So, it begins with faith. And then number two, you are to add to your faith virtue. Now that's the word that's found in the King James, the New King James. If you're reading a newer translation, it uses the word goodness. You are add add to your faith goodness or virtue. The word really means moral excellence. The higher standard. Being excellent in your morality and in your character. In fact, it's a quality that is attributed to both God and Christ in verse 3. So when we pay the price to develop virtue in our lives, we are striving to become more like Jesus Christ. And the only reason we can become good is because God has given us a new life that includes this goodness. And we can become virtuous. We can have moral excellence in our life. Just to break it down in a very practical way, I look at moral excellence as that you do the right thing regardless. That you are good all the time. Because God is. Number three, add to virtue knowledge. And what he's talking about here is the practical knowledge of the will of God and the ways of God. Now, I know a lot of smart people. Yeah? Smart academically. Smart according to the things of this world. But you know what? As good as all of that is, the best kind of knowledge to have is God's knowledge and God's wisdom to know God's ways. And the only way you can do this is by spending time with God in His Word and in prayer. That's it. I want to use that word dumb again. We're dumb in love. Sometimes we're just dumb, period. We're dumb. Uh, for example, when I was a student again in college, we, we tried out this, uh, this idea, this philosophy that you can absorb things while you're sleeping. Okay? So we did it a couple of different ways. We'd put things on, on cassette tape and listen to those things while we're sleeping to try to study for tests. We would, we would take our notes for whatever kind of test it was, a science test, and instead of studying those, we would put them under our pillow and lay on the pillow hoping that we could absorb that information. It would just morph into our brains. <laughs> it doesn't work. Guys, listen, teenagers, it doesn't work. You've got to study it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know what? In order to do that, there's a price that has to be paid, though. 
know what, you're, you're going to have to make the choice to get up a little earlier in the morning or to rearrange your schedule a little bit so that you can take time for God's Word and prayer. As I said last week, you need to find that closet. People are coming out of the closet, you need to go into the closet. Spend time with God and His Word, gaining in this spiritual knowledge. Number four, to knowledge you add self-control. This is the ability to master and keep in check your desires and your actions. And let me tell you something, guys, you can't do that naturally. That doesn't come naturally. God's grace, however, gives us the ability to say no to sin and to self. But we've got to put forth the effort. We have to, we have to display self-control. It's a very important link in this chain. Number five, to self-control, perseverance. This is the ability to stand up under pressure, to endure when circumstances are difficult. I think it's important for me to interject in, in some of these characters, especially this one. The, the only way that you're going to develop that is through adversity. The only way you're going to be able to persevere is to go through some difficult times where you're forced to persevere. Don't fight it. Rejoice in it. Understand God's big plan for your life is to conform you to His very image. So even in this trial, even in this difficulty, even in this sickness, even in this death, even in this broken relationship, even in this financial ruin, God is teaching me. Perseverance. Number six, add to perseverance godliness. The, the word means devotion to the person of God. In the original language, it literally means to worship well. When we talk about a person being godly, we mean that this person has a deep devotion to God. But again, let me tell you, there is a price to be paid for that. I like what Paul said about godliness in 1 Timothy 4, 7. He says, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. The word train means to discipline. It is the word from which we get our word gymnasium from. So there is spiritual exercise involved in godliness. You don't try to be godly. You train to be godly. A lot of people have made a New Year's resolution to exercise and get in shape in 2015. So the area gymnasiums are, are full. They're packed with people. The problem with most of us is this. We want instant results. We, we want to be in shape in, in four weeks. Four easy steps in four easy weeks to get back in shape. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. And if we're not fit in one month, you know what? We give up. It doesn't work that way. I mean, I, I told the first service people, it's taken me 53 years to develop this body. And I'm not going to get it back in shape in, in, in one month or one year. Uh, I decided last year after having some, some physical issues that, you know, okay, Harmon, here it is. You're going to have to get back in shape. I've, I've only, I've, since, since 1983, when I graduated, uh, uh, got married, I've gained only two pounds a year. Two pounds a year doesn't sound like much, does it? How many years have been? A long time. Do the math, it adds up. <laughs> 
I decided a year ago, April 15th, this past year, I said, okay, Harmon, it's it. You're going to have you're going to have to start eating right. No more sodas. You're drinking water, maybe tea, and you're going to get back in the gym. You're going to start lifting weights again. Now, you can't tell the difference right now, can you? Let me do this. You can't really, you can come up here and feel my muscles after the sermon for a little fee, but you know what, sometimes I get discouraged because I'm not seeing the results I wanted to see. I want, in six months, I wanted to be back fit like I was when I was 25 years old, you know, doesn't work that way. You got to train yourself. You got to be disciplined. You got to keep working. And if your goal is to run a 10K race, you can't just wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today I'm going to go run a 10K. You ain't going to make it. It, do it doesn't work that way. Training involves a daily regimen of doing the same things over and over until it becomes instinctive for you. So let me apply it spiritually. You might hear an inspiring sermon on devotion to God and say, okay, I'm going to try to be closer to God. No. You train to be closer to God. Donald Whitney in his book on spiritual disciplines in the Christian life writes, the gold of godliness is not found on the surface of Christianity. It has to be dug from the depths with the tools of discipline. But for those who persevere, the treasures are worth much more than the troubles. And church, let me tell you, God has called us to be godly. It's a very important link in this chain. Godly. Seven days a week. It's a way of life. We're godly. We act godly. I've become very frustrated in my old age. <laughs> you know, uh, with a lot of things. One of the things I'm really frustrated with right now are other preachers who, who just don't act godly. Now, you demand that I act godly. You expect me to be godly. In fact, you, you, you know, push comes to shove. Here's the way you think of it. You go, you're thinking to yourself here, well, my pastors, Brother Will, Brother Jason, Brother Dave, Brother Dean, Brother Ray, you know, Brother Johnny, they're, they're on a different level. They've got to be a little more godly than me because they're pastors. You think that, don't you? You demand it. And if you see something in my life that doesn't reflect godliness, I'll tell you, you're going to point it out. You're going to have a board meeting. Right? And you know what? I demand that of myself and of other pastors. We are called to lead. We are called to be examples. But you know what? In that regard, there is no difference from my life than your life. Why? Because we're all born-again believers. God has called all of us to be godly. We are to pursue godliness. The Bible says without godliness, we're not even going to see Him. So you know what? It's important. And to godliness, number seven, you add brotherly kindness. Now this describes the love of a family, the, the, the love that should typify the fellowship of believers. And as we grow in Jesus Christ, we begin to have this deep affection for other believers, for, for the church, for the body of Christ. Why? Because this is His bride. Jesus gave His life for the church. Jesus loves the church. We should love the church. 
we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the church. Brotherly kindness. You know, I've deduced through the years that churches would be a whole lot better if we would just be a little more kind in our dealings with one another. Importantly, be kind to each other. Love each other. But then he ends with love. Add to brotherly kindness love. If brotherly kindness describes the affection that we have for people like us, in the fellowship, in the faith, then love describes the commitment that we should have to love all people, even those who are not like us. It's not just affection, it is self-sacrificing love for the good of another person. For God so loved the world. We need to love people too. This chain has eight links. It starts with faith. It ends with love. And every link in between is important because it displays the life of Christ. So in spiritual progress, there is a price to be paid and there are virtues to be displayed. And you're kind of bummed out right now at the hard work that's before you. But understand this. Number three, there are benefits to be gained in spiritual progress. Verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to couple with that what Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.8. He said, for physical training is of some value. Other translations say of little value. Now, it's important to keep our bodies in shape. I understand that, to eat right, to exercise, because we want to live as long as we can for the Lord, all right? That's important. It's of little value, but, he goes on to say, godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Okay? So as much time and effort and energy and money that you spend in making your body, your tent, your tabernacle, the fittest it can be, you need to spend more time, more money, and more energy making spiritual progress and developing these eight characteristics that we read here in 2 Peter. They go back to verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Do you see the progress there? That's the goal. Not only to possess these qualities, but possess them in increasing manner. That is, every day, have a little more of them in your life. The goal of a lifetime is to increase in every season of your life to make little steps every day. You know what this is? Let me give you a theological term here. This is what theologians call progressive sanctification. We are sanctified or set apart the moment of our conversion. God sanctified. He's, he makes us holy. He makes us like Himself. But progressive sanctification means that every day I grow to be a little more like Him. Every day I take those steps to become more like Christ. Every day in increasing measure I work on these qualities that make me like Jesus Christ. And here's the benefit. Verse 8. They will keep you from being ineffective 
and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what it does. It keeps us from being ineffective and unproductive. The word ineffective means idle or useless. Well, we don't want to be that way, do we? I don't want to be useless. And when we are growing in these qualities, we're not going to be sitting on the bench and idle and useless. No, we're going to be out on the playing field where the action is. We're going to be used by God. Or unproductive. Literally, that means no fruit. Having no fruit in your life. I wonder, can you see the fruit of Christ's likeness showing up in your life? Are you any different today than you were this time last year? In your spiritual progress. Our goal is to increase in increasing measure every day. So here are these eight virtues that are listed here. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Look at that list and think about it for a second. In fact, when I was preaching that, you were, you were doing a checklist in your mind, weren't you? I'm doing pretty good there. Yeah, I got that one. Mm, I wish he'd hurry up and go on to the next one, you know? Right now, what I want you to do is pick a couple of those that you really need to work on. A couple that are your weak links in, come, in becoming like Jesus Christ. I don't know. what it, it may be godliness. It may be brotherly kindness. Whatever it is for you, pick out a couple of those. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to come to the altar and pray about it. Say, Lord, my, my goal is to grow spiritually this year. And I know you've told me in your word, this is how I do it. You've given me the divine power to do it. Here, here's all the tools I need. Help me, Lord. Help me to work in this area. And then list the link you need work in. Ask for his help. He'll help you. Because he wants you to look just like him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless this time of prayer. Lord Jesus, for those who need to come to the altar and pray this morning, make it easy for them to come. Lord, there may be someone here today that needs to be saved. They've never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. May they come this morning and ask for forgiveness and cleansing and allow you to give them the new life. Lord, there are others who have burdens on their heart. May they come today and just lay those burdens before you and pray for your help and guidance. Lord, for the rest of us, for all of us who are here, help us to identify the areas we need to work on and to come and ask you for help. Lord, may we commit these, these eight holy habits to you that we need to establish in our life. And help us to do that today. We love you, Lord, and I commit this altar call to you. Speak to hearts and challenge lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Heads bowed and eyes closed. If God is speaking to you.